I invite you to check out my website, karagoodwin.com. I'm adding more resources all the time to assist you in your meditation journey. Sign up right on the homepage to receive a free 10-minute guided meditation that will fill you with light and peace and give your nervous system a reset. You can also find powerful offerings to help you start or amplify your existing meditation practice, including the Meditation Immersion Program to get a solid foundation to your meditation and the Healing Hearth Ongoing Program for regular online meditations and guidance. Thank you so much for your support and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to the Meditation Conversation. I'm your host, Kara Goodwin. And today I have Nita Sweeney. Nita is the award-winning author of the running and mental health memoir, Depression Hates a Moving Target, How Running with My Dog Brought Me Back from the Brink. She's a mental health advocate, an ultra-marathoner, and the founder of a group which supports well-being through meditation, exercise, and writing practice. So welcome, Nita. I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you so much. I'm really excited for this conversation. I, I yeah, yeah, just love talking me too. about meditation. Yeah, that's awesome. So, tell us how you went from a self-proclaimed couch potato at age 49 <laughs> to an ultra marathoner. Oh, well, well, I recommend going from a couch potato to an ultra marathoner. I don't necessarily recommend what happened before that. <laughs> okay. I um, <laughs> say I have lived with. Uh, depression, the symptoms of bipolar disorder for most of my life. It was diagnosed when I was pretty young and then bipolar was diagnosed in my, I would say, 30s. And so I tried all the meds. I've been on therapy, had, you know, a lot of things going for me, meditation as a tool, writing practice. But what I know now is I didn't have a physical component. I didn't have the benefits of the movement of the body. So in 2007, I, I don't know, I would have been 46 or 47, seven loved ones and a loved one's cat died. It was, Oh my gosh. Year. We call it, we, our family refers to it as the year everyone died. And um, that included my 24 year old niece, her cat, my father-in-law. And then in December, my mother, and oh. it was just crazy. And I was already struggling with depression, you know, kind of in and out. It tends to be cyclical. And I don't know, I got to a place where I just wasn't really sure it was worth it anymore. I mean, I've been suicidal before and I got to that place where it just, it felt like too much. Everything just felt like too much, the grief, everything. So I'm sitting on the sofa. There may have been bonbons. I'm not sure. (laughs) But, um, I saw the social media post of a high school friend who said she was same age, at least as large as, um, as I was then, which I was much larger than. And she wrote, call me crazy, but this running is getting to be fun. And I thought we really need to do a wellness check (laughs) (laughs) running fun. Yeah. But that's where it started. And her watching her and watching the change in her led me to check out the interval program. And it said 60 seconds of jogging. And I think if it had said 61 seconds of jogging or 60 (laughs) seconds of running, it was just something about that 60 seconds of jogging. It said a lot more than that. Yeah. But I could hold on to. And so when I talk to people, a lot of times I say, 
just find some tiny little thing, you know, with meditation, the way I started with that, which maybe you're going to get to this question, but my husband was the meditator. He was my boyfriend at the time and I really liked him and he meditated. And so one day he said, you want to sit? And I said, I want to what? (laughs) And so he set the microwave timer for five minutes and his instruction was try not to fidget. (laughs) And so it was very similar with running. So I took my dog down in this hidden ravine where I thought no one could see me. Um, I took a, a digital kitchen timer, which I sometimes use for meditation. And down we went into this kind of hidden place and I jogged for 60 seconds. So that's how it started. And then a bunch of other things happened that continued to lead me in the direction of what I call running in public because I thought (laughs) I was a private runner. I was never going to leave the ravine um, at that time. But again, if I keep my mind right where I'm at, it's not as scary because the anxiety, that's the big thing with me is anxiety. Yeah. I, I used to run a lot too. I, um, as my meditation practice has gotten longer, it's harder for me to keep up with the running. So I really have, I have to admit, I haven't been a runner for a couple of years, maybe three years, but, um, I remember I would see, cause you know, everybody is a beginner at, at some point, you know, and, and I had the same thing where it was like, I, I thought I hated running, you know, it was like, because I knew from gym class or whatever, you know, you don't know right. what you're doing, you go full on and you're supposed to do like a mile in the end, you know, and it's like, but you start really hard. And by the time you're done, it's like, I'm terrible at this and I hate it. Um, but at one point, just very similar, it was like, I, if I could just run for a minute, like even if I just got some jog, some jogging shoes, running shoes, and just ran for a minute and then walked until I felt fine and then jogged again for a minute, like I could do that. And, and um, so it's, it's really funny, but I, so I remember being a beginner and then getting stronger and being able to run without pauses and things like that. But I remember seeing people who clearly were just starting and you could see they were embarrassed. You know, I'd be running around in a park and see somebody who's like hardly jogging, you know, barely even, cause there's just a little bit of a difference of the gate between fast mm-hmm. walking and jogging. And it's like, and, and it's, and you could feel their embarrassment, but it's like, no, this is amazing. Like, keep going. Like, don't be embarrassed. This is you're. It's amazing that you're out and you're you're trying this and you're, you know. I would just always try to like give them a smile or something because it can't. You ju- you can feel so self conscious, like like you're supposed to be a master at everything from the get go. Just like you beautifully equated it to meditation. You know, we it, everybody feels like they can't meditate because they don't have experience with it. So they're like, well, I can't sit there and not fidget or, you know, keep my mind still for five minutes. That's way too much. And it's like, well, yeah, you build up to that or you, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you try it and then you try it again and you keep getting better, better, you know, anytime that you give to yourself to work on, you know, your own inner peace is valuable, even if it feels like you didn't master it, (laughs) you know, it's like, yes, it's time. Well, it's, um, you know, we can understand, most people can understand the muscles of the arms, the legs, even the heart, but the mind is so similar. The tools that we're developing in meditation 
it's just like building a muscle. It's something that has to be trained. And so when I hear someone say, oh, my mind won't be still, I always say, well, that's good. That means you're not dead. You know, (laughs) that's what minds do. Minds generate thoughts. And so in meditation, as you know, I'm speaking to an expert here, um, we create conditions that allow the mind to still on its own. And we do little things to help it become calmer, but it's very rarely completely still. Even I've been meditating now for I don't know, 25 years and, you know, and it depends on the day, what else is going on in my life. Oh yeah. So yeah, it's a, but it's a thing that can be trained. Yeah. It takes a little bit of effort, but it's not, it's not the same kind of effort most of us are used to, but it takes a little, you know, the right intention, right effort. Um, right. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that gets us to your first, your first step for a pun into running. Um, now, when we start talking about ultra marathons, to me, that you're getting into mastery. You know, that's like we're we're beyond like couch to five k at that point. So, so yes. how did what was like the tipping point? Like how how did that go that you went from you know sixty seconds to ultra marathon? Well, it started, first I blinked because 10 years went by, um, but, um, um, but it started with my sister who, it was her daughter, her only child who had died of cancer oh, during wow. that bad year. And I made the mistake of telling her I was running. I was shocked about that, but that's kind of how it happened because I didn't tell anybody for a while. I would do it um, during the week when my husband was at work and and um, she said, there's this 5K, we're raising money for research for the cancer that Jamie died from. And that was when I said, oh, no, no, I'm a private runner. I don't run it. <laughs> and then it, you know, it took me a while to kind of, not too long, but to get over myself and realize, well, embarrassment is not going to kill me. And cancer did kill Jamie. So um, I went to this race. And there were people of all ages, all sizes in the fancy spandex, in the pink sweatpants that I had started out in. You know, I mean, everything. It just blew open all my preconceptions about what running is. And I I got hooked on the energy of being in community with runners. I started um, participating in some online groups before that but that's different you're hiding behind it wasn't there wasn't video we, we were hiding behind icons and you know usernames and things like that and they were very helpful but <clears throat> but to actually be in person and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty introverted person but in running you know you you're kind of running maybe beside somebody or there's somebody in front of you behind you and I, know, I just really like that and then be able to do something for a charity help too so eventually I just wanted to run longer distances because I loved it so much. And so mm-hmm. the big goal was a half marathon. That was kind of the next goal. And I realized I needed a group. I needed more structure. Um, again, it's so weird because I'm such an introvert, but I needed the structure. And I knew we had a big group here in town that was really well organized. And and what was so funny was because I was that I didn't know that people that I actually knew were members of it. People I didn't know they even ran because really? we hadn't even talked about it because it, you know, it's like it's not on your radar until it's on your radar and then it's everywhere. I call it the, 
the powder blue Pinto complex. You know, you go and you drive your your unique powder blue Pinto off the lot, and all of a sudden, this unique car you see twenty of them on the way home. So that's yeah. the way that's the way this worked for me. And um, so after I ran that half marathon, it it's sort of you're just in the club, and so you start doing what everybody else is doing, and. I don't know, a year, I think I did two half marathons and then everybody suddenly in the group was training for the full and, you know, so well, and I mean, and I, I talked to people, should I do this? Is this crazy? And the thing that is in the, my first book, The Oppression Hates a Moving Target, is the fact that I have some congenital, I have a, um, basically the bones of my left ankle are too close together and they could have fixed it when I was a kid, but it's the kind of thing that until you, you, you often don't even know, because I didn't play any sports. I was in marching band, but it wasn't the kind of thing where they would have noticed it. I rode horses, things like that. And so I had one doctor tell me not to run. And he's, he's not, he's sort of a, um, I don't know, there's a villain in the story. He's a fine guy. I'm sure he's fine. And I'm sure that, that from his professional opinion, that's what should have happened. They should have fused my ankle. I shouldn't have run. But there were other people around me, other medical professionals, including Dr. Sangle, what if you just take it easy? What if you just, you know, and so I kept going. And so I ran the marathon and then this group, um, we, but the thing is you can't just go like, I ran the marathon. I mean, that's, that's a huge accomplishment. Like it's, it's so far I've, I've done some half marathons and I have never even entertained the idea of doing a marathon because it's so, it's so yeah. commitment. My husband did the London Marathon and it was a commitment for the whole family, you know, because it's training that's required. So we had to like all work around all the training. But let uh, me back up. Let me back up and say I have the most amazing husband in the world. I don't have children. And because of my mental health issues, I haven't had a day job for many, many years. And so I, you know, I'm I'm privileged. I um, am able to do that. But I also know people who have jobs and children and their families say, you're much better when you're training for a marathon. Go sign up. <laughs> you yeah. know, so it, it just depends. Yeah. For that's me, an was, amazing accomplishment. Just the marathon. Yeah. You don't even have to put the ultra in front of it. That's incredible. And you didn't even start running until you were 49. That's like, yes. it's yes. amazing. And I'm, I mean, I run slowly and I don't apologize. So I'm very careful to check the uh, cutoff times for a race before mm-hmm. I sign up. Because I don't want anybody, you know, I don't want, there can be a whole argument about, they didn't wait around for me. Well, the cutoff time was six hours and you came in at six, to, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so I'm very careful about that. But I had the support of my family. I had the support of this group. And this group, it's Marathoner in Training that is through the local Fleet Feed store. When we all show up, there's, I mean, at the time, I think there would be a thousand of us if we all, sh- all the pace groups showed up at the same place at the same time. So in my pace group alone, the group I run with, there's, you know, 30 to 50 people. And so some people in that group, there were, I think, five or six of us that were training for it in my pace group. But there were 200 other people also training for the race at different speeds, you know, different paces. So I never felt alone. And there's always that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of full of these little uh, one-off jokes, but when you hang around in a barber shop, eventually you're going to get a haircut. And so if you hang around with a bunch of people who just run marathons for fun, eventually you're going to run a marathon. And so that's how it morphed. 
from marathon to ultra is I changed pace groups because I got a little slower. And also, actually, it was more because I wanted to try the run walk, that um, mm-hmm. Jeff Galloway run, walk, run kind of thing where you um, you said it. Most people have like a timer on their their uh, watch or you have a little timer you put on your um, clothes. And my my sweet spot is 30, 30. So I run for 30 seconds, walk for 30 seconds. And because you can always skip one and run for one, run for, you know, walk, whatever. And so when I went into the run walk group, there was a group of them that did this one particular ultra, which a full is 26.2 and a ultra is anything above is 26.3 or above. So the ultra that I did is 31 and change, which I know that's no small distance, but there's actually not that much difference between once you've done a marathon, there's not, it's like five more miles. You know, I mean, it's really, yeah. I know that sounds it's crazy, crazy, but when you think of it that way, it doesn't feel as big. Plus, and I'm not, I'm not saying this to diminish my accomplishments, but to try to make this accessible for people, this particular ultra, you have 24 hours to do 31 miles and it's a five mile loop and it's flat. Now it's in the summer in central Ohio. So it's also hot, but it's in the woods and the support is amazing. So in some weird ways, the ultra does not feel, I mean, it's physically as difficult, but mentally it's not quite as difficult because you're always back at the water stop. You're always back at the bathroom. You're always back at your campsite. People take naps. I mean, it's mind blowing. (laughs) So it's a whole different, it's whereas a marathon, you know, you start and you go until you're done. There's no stopping. There's no, I mean, you can stop the bathroom, obviously, and water and things like that. But there's, it's the whole um, feeling is much more um, high stakes, high pressure, competitive. Whereas, I mean, the ultras are competitive too. There's plenty of people that want to win them. But for me, it was just like a very long walk in the woods. Now I will say that, yeah, it's different that I will say though, that I am very, very glad that I learned to meditate and had all the years of meditation because that actually answers the question you asked before. You said, well, I've done a half marathon, but you know, a full marathon is so much longer. You're out there so much longer. Well, you meditate while you're running. <laughs> I mean, that's what I do. Mm-hmm. And that's um, that I, my friends joke that I have an infinite capacity for boredom. I, I, in the winter here, it gets icy. It gets icy here. And so I'll go to the there's an indoor track here that I did when I was training for my third full. I think we had to do 212 laps on this track it's like 10 laps a mile we were doing it was it's like 10.25 or something like that laps per mile so it was some off number but it was over more than 200 laps because we needed 20 miles or we needed 22 miles to get our long training in and so i you know i was out there by myself part of the time but then people would come and join me for four miles and then they'd go home and then somebody else would come for five miles whatever and do the laps but Uh, But yeah, I can just kind of go around in circles all day. I run in my house if I get, I have, like I said, I have anxiety. And so sometimes I get a little bit of, I call it a little bit, I get agoraphobic where I have trouble leaving my house. And especially it depends on the weather too, if it's icy and I'll just jog around my house. I mean, I've done, I think the the max I've done is 12 miles, which was really hard. I had to do six upstairs and six in the basement because it was just, 
Oh, wow. <laughs> but that's, well, I just, you know, I do that. So yeah, yeah. that's great. I, I want to talk about the mental health, like ha- what, uh, what impact has running had on your mental health? Because of course your book is talking about basically outrunning depression you know, and, and, um, how running has affected your mental health. So can you, can you talk a little bit about that, how it's improved things? Absolutely. The energy level is probably the biggest thing that I noticed that just the largest thing overall. And it's the first thing that I noticed other people started noticing little things with my mood, me being a little more happy, um, joking around a little more. One friend asked me if I got a haircut. I mean, they didn't know what was going on, but they, cause I hadn't told anybody. And so the energy level is probably the biggest thing. I remember we, we used to, we always go to, well, um, one Ohio state university football game every year. And it's a big deal. You the Ohio state. <laughs> The, there you go. The Ohio State University. Yeah, that yeah. always makes me laugh when the, yeah. the football the players State. do. Right, yeah. right. It is the Ohio State. University. Yeah. I'm an Indiana. I'm third, I'm a, we're neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. I'm a third third generation Buckeye. But I usually when we would go before I took up running, it was such a big deal. Just lugging everything, getting from the you know car to the stadium, climbing the bleachers it was just a huge deal and we went probably I don't know it would have been maybe six months after I started running and I'd done my first 5k I think by then and I realized that it wasn't a big deal I mean it was a long walk but it was not a big deal at all and it wasn't just the distance it was the I was physically stronger I was just stronger so that stamina has been huge. And that has impacted my writing too, because writing takes, especially book length works, takes a stamina and focus that even with meditation, I really didn't have. So the, my mood of course, is the big thing too. Um, besides the stamina is that I just in general tend to be a more positive person. I'm, I think I will always have a little bit of a melancholy flair. And when people read the book, they'll see that, that I'm, I'm very much a realist. So I don't say that um, people always say that I outran depression. And in some ways I did. I would, I, what I outran was suicide. That's what I outran because I was suicidal. And, um, but you know, I still have my days where it's just kind of blue and running helps a ton. Um, But I don't know that anything's just going to ever flip a switch and, me not to have to deal with that, but it's so much better. So there's the energy, the mood, um, the community has allowed me to be just more involved in my life because I felt I had a kind of small, I'm in recovery too. And I had a, a you know, I had a, a pretty nice recovery community, um, but to be out with the, with runners, but also when you're dealing with charity events and now book signings and things, I'm, I'm out, you know, among all kinds of people doing all kinds of things. And, that would have terrified me before that um, was I was very uh, careful about my choices. And I mean, I'm still a little bit careful, but I, it just has given me a freedom to do things that I really didn't think I could. And uh, that's, that's just been wonderful. And I, you know, I just, I just feel more alive. I mean, I, there were days when, even when the sky was blue, I would look out and all I would see was gray. And now those days are very few and far between. I still have them. Writing the book um, sort of up the stakes with everything because I wasn't used to dealing with professionals at that level. 
and, um, you know, talking to someone like you, um, all of that uh, is part of the process. And that would have terrified me. And now I just, you know, I just feel like, okay, I can go in and do that. So it's amazing how it just sort of bleeds in. There, there isn't any part of my life that it has not positively uh, impacted. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I mean, there's, there's so much there because you talk about um, the energy and, you know, with meditation, energy, you know, energy is energy, but it takes a little bit of a different um, lens. You know, we can look at energy from a different lens when we're talking about meditation, when you start talking about it from like a metaphysical standpoint, because from a physical perspective, we often think about energy as like, I'm not so sleepy, you know, like from a physical perspective, a lot of times that's what people, how they notice that they have more energy. It's like, oh, I'm not as tired or fatigued as I normally am. When we start crossing over into meditation-y kind of understanding of, of energy, it's like everything is energy. And so it's really interesting to think about like why that is or like how did that come in? And if we consider ourselves as like that we are energy, but we are these like streams of energy and our bodies are these manifestations of something so much bigger that we are. And so it's like through things like meditation, but also taking care of your physical body and um, making choices that, that help to bring that energy in because it's so often we're kind of cut off, you know, yes. in modern times. Yeah. We're, we're in the, the mind and we're not tapping into that stream of energy with the um, profundity that we could, you know, that that really helps to to get us really feeling connected. And so many things that you've said, I mean, you've touched on connection, you've touched on the energy, you've touched on how it, it affects your mentality and, and, you know, so many and your clarity, your creativity, you know, all these things that are being fed by that that energy, but it's like this way to break through the blockages that modern living can, um, can create that are so easy. They just like sneak in over time. And before we know it, like, it's really hard to even cope. It's hard to put one foot in front of the other. It's hard to step out the door. Um, but there are so many different ways that we can break that open and we can like kind of clear those pathways in so that more of that bigger stream of energy that we are can come in and infiltrate and express through these bodies. So it's so important for us to think about the physical body too, because um, sometimes people like if they're on like a, a spiritual discovery path, you know, they may, uh, there, there can be a tendency even to reject the body and to feel like, okay, I've got a, I am going to transcend the body. The body is a, a barrier, and I've got to get, be, I've got to get past the body. I don't care about the body. I'm not going to take care of it. I don't want to, you know, because it's like I'm not, I'm spiritual. I'm not superficial. I don't want to take, you know, I, I'm not going to even pay attention to that. But it's like, well, actually, we're here having a spirit, having having a spiritual experience in a human body. And we want to take care of that because then it, it allows us to connect with it um, with greater ease and it, it can express through us so much easier 
when we are taking care of that physical vessel. So it's, it's really, it's really beautiful and inspiring to hear about your journey and how you've not only the steps that you took to get to the ultra marathon. Um, I mean, even just the 5k is, is a, a huge accomplishment. Um, but then, you know, hearing about the, the knock on effects and even just that brightness that was, that was bursting through where your friend was like, did you get your haircut? Like something's different. I'm perceiving something is like radiating here, but I don't know what it is. Is it your hair? <laughs> you know? Yes. Yes. It was very funny. Um, and one friend who knew me really well said, did you change therapists? And no, I just had more energy. I, I like to say, and I think this is true, whether people struggle with mental health issues or not, that we're fighting inertia. And so the energy that you're talking about, it it isn't in our, I mean, it, there is energy in our mind, but it's really generated in the body. That's the, that's, you know, that's the, that's the place that it, it comes from. I also wanted to mention the type of meditation that I do. It's insight meditation or Vipassana is what it's, um, that's the, the old word you'd say, uh, Vipassana. Mm -hmm. But the body is the object that we use. And so everything becomes an opportunity, whether it's a glorious day or a rain, you know, rainstorm that is feeling, making your joints at my age, I, my, my joints sometimes feel crappy when it rains. So all of that is an opportunity. Um, whatever you feel in the body and all the thoughts that you have are an opportunity to practice. But it's a it takes a mind shift. It takes a little bit of a different way of thinking in order to see everything as an opportunity. And I don't mean that in a glib way, because I've been through some stuff. okay, <laughs> And I know it's hard. It is hard. But I know that also the meditation practice, while the running was sort of the missing piece, the meditation practice has always been a foundation. Because mm -hmm. even when things were so bad after, after my mother died, it was just, everything was just black. I mean, it was just bad. And, um, and I did become suicidal and yet I was also able to notice the suicidal thoughts rise, do their little dance, pass away. And that's what I do when I run a lot of times, especially when you get to a distance where there, at some point things hurt. They just do. If you keep running long enough, even if you take care of everything, do it all perfectly, do all your stretches at some point, things are going to hurt. And so that becomes my object of meditation. When, as long as I know I'm not permanently injuring myself, right. you know, I don't want to do that. That's something yeah. Let's you know, be cautious here. But, but that ability to use the body, the thoughts and the body sensations as um, the tools with which to, which to meditate. And, you know, some people call it a spiritual experience. Some people call it being in the moment. That's more my spin is about staying in the moment because that's where the power is. That's mm -hmm. where that's the only reality actually is right here in this moment, whether it's, if you're going to have a spiritual experience, you're not going to have it tomorrow and you didn't have it yesterday. I mean, maybe you did, but it's, <laughs> now is the opportunity to right. do whatever that is um, with the practice. And so the, um, I think that I, that's the thing I realized with uh, the, the, the probably most poignant moment was when I was about, three quarters of a mile from finishing that ultra. And I was, my feet hurt 
bad, especially my left foot, my one toe just hurt so bad. And it had been hurting for a while. And I, you know, did all the things that changed shoes, I changed socks, I did all the things I knew to do. And I wanted to zone out. I started singing songs to myself. I told myself jokes, I, you know, jokes I know, but I still like yeah. And But I did all the things to zone out. And then I remembered, Nita, you are never going to be three quarters of a mile from your first ultramarathon ever again. And it just, it just dropped me in. And then um, my longtime teacher is a man named Shinzen Young. And I remember him talking about instead of escaping from the pain, escaping into the pain. And so I just turned my full focus onto that foot and let it just completely consume me, not in a bad way, but in a curious way. What does this feel like? What is going on with my foot? Not thinking about it, but, you know, is it hot? Is it cold? Is it pulsing? Is it solid? Is it all that kind of thing? And it still hurt, but I wasn't suffering. Whereas before, when I was trying to push against it, trying to make it go away, um, trying to distract myself, there was a lot of suffering. I was all, all you know, that's the word I use as a meditation yeah. word too, around it. And not bliss, not bliss. I won't say that I went off in some sparkly land. No, my foot hurt. But I also fully experienced that last three quarter mile. It's just etched in my memory. I can almost tell you, I mean, I'm looking forward to going back this year because I can almost tell you every tree, every post, every, you know, of course the campsite will be a little different because the tents will be in different places, but everything on that way back, um, I have a very vivid memory of that's being very beautiful. present. Yeah. So, so that's, but, but the, the whole thing about, um, um, about not wanting to be in the body, I mean, that may work for some people that hasn't worked for me. And so I'm very, I'm very careful not to, to say, oh, that's the wrong way. But I think they're missing a tool. I think they're missing a, um, an opportunity that can bring, um, joy in a, I mean, that's like, oh, you're such a masochist. You're talking about getting joy through pain. Well, yeah, because there's going to come a day when we can't escape it. I mean, we'll all face that. And um, here I go on my little morbid need to trip, but really there's going to be a day where you're going to have pain that you can't, whether it's emotional pain or whether it's physical pain, um, something's going to happen. That's going to be big enough that whatever skills you've had, they're not going to work to allow you to escape them. And so um, Shinsen always take, says something like, I don't know exactly how he says, he says, at some point you're going to have to jump out of a plane and this is a build your own parachute kind of course. So we suggest you start building the parachute before you get in the plane. Ooh, <laughs> and, that's and so I really like that. The idea that, you know, you're building this over time, not in a morbid way, because there's so much joy along the way. There's so mm -hmm. much, you know, benefit and just so many things. Um, I could go on and on, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, so, so let's start through. Let's knit that parachute now. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I often talk about that as well um, with pain and the noticing, you know, the physical, especially with physical pain, but any kind of pain, emotional pain. I mean, you've talked about the temporal nature of pain. That's one one aspect to it is that it's never permanent. And we when we're in pain, it feels like this, this is it now. I'm just going to always be like this, this is what I am. You know, and it's like we we have a quick we quickly forget, you know, that that emotions pass and, and physical pain passes. But that curiosity is is really provocative, too, and um, and a really interesting tool because we do 
have such a tendency to, to distract ourselves, to not want to see it, um, and to just f- fear it and feel like we don't want to feed it. And so, and there seems to be this, this fear that if we see it, if we really look at it, if we really give it attention, that it's going to, we're going to feed it and it's going to get worse. And I have found, just like you're saying, it, it might not necessarily dissolve it completely, depending on the level that you're dealing with. But so often it's like we just ascribe pain to a sensation. And it's like, well, sometimes it's not pain. It's a it's a temperature change. It's hot. It's cold. It's a vibration. It's it's a, um, a it feels more like you you said kind of a solid thing like it just feels like a, a lump or um, and it, it's like but we want to mask it either by distracting you know going on to social media or buying something or you know we all have different ways that we don't want to see it eating yes. Um, but but being courageous and really going all in, um, I just wrote a paper on this yesterday, actually. So it's really funny that you bring it up because it was about like really bringing all of your awareness to a, an injury or a trauma or a wound um, and really seeing it and really uh, letting it be processed in that way um, and how that helps to heal much. It's rapid. It's the healing that comes from that is so rapid. So, um, yeah, it's really beautiful. I love that. Yeah, I think, I mean, you probably have done the research, but I know that there's a, there've been studies about what happens when we pay attention to a thing. And if you've done any kind of meditation where you've tried to, I'll speak for myself, sorry. When I do meditation where a pain arises and I try to think of them as unpleasant, pleasant and neutral. So an unpleasant sensation arises in my knee, let's say. When I shift my focus, it starts changing. When I first feel it, it may feel like this solid, like a rock, knot, whatever, solid thing. And then we shift our focus. And there's been research that says that the awareness actually has an impact on the sensation, on our experience. So it's on consciousness, essentially. Right. so I think that that's a, another, again, it's an opportunity people miss because it's scary. Yeah. You don't want to feel pain. Nobody wants to feel pain. I understand that. Um, but it's also inevitable. And yeah. so that's, you know, that's kind of the need message. And I, I do think that there have been, um, I don't know, communities kind of swept away with the sort of no bad vibes kind of thing, which I understand the intention um, is good. And the desire is to bring happiness and joy and relief for people. And I also know that those kinds of things can in the end become dangerous because you're not in touch with reality, which is mm-hmm. that there is suffering, there is pain, there is pleasantness, there is neutralness. And so having a skill set where you can deal with the days where there are no bad vibes, but also deal with the days when the bad, the vibes are so bad that you can't know bad vibes. It it doesn't work. Um, To me, that's a full toolkit. And that's what I want. I want the hammer. I want the screwdriver. I want the drill. I want, you know, so I want all the tools at my disposal and the discernment, the discretion to be able to use the one 
that's right for the situation. And some days I'll, you know, try to pound the nail with the the back of the screwdriver and (laughs) realize, oh my God, that's not working. And it sort of feels like that's what's happening with this. um, I don't know. I I don't want to point, you know, again, I'm very careful not to disparage anything, but I've tried so many different things. And this is the only thing where I felt a long, you know, this type of meditation where I felt a long lasting benefit that sticks, that's not, and that it sticks off the cushion. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I do sitting practice, um, but I can meditate when I run. And that's actually what my next book is going to be about is how to meditate while you do any kind of movement form. Because we hear in meditation, there's a lot of talk about posture, about um, the need for a particular, well, just the way that posture impacts Mm -hmm. um, your mind state. And it does totally. And so, uh, so my suggestion is that you can transfer the awareness and the the skills of attention, you know, calm, concentration, clarity. You can transfer those skills into movement as well, and uh, yeah. it just becomes the posture. Your movement becomes the posture. And then we talk. I talk a little bit in that book about the importance of of having um, good form for whatever the movement is. You know, so that if you focus on that. Uh, that will also help with the meditation sort of a, again, we have to bring the body in. We can't just do the head thing, uh, right. mind thing to any movement. We have to bring the body into it too. So that's beautiful. <laughs> well, Thank you. how can people find out more about you? Oh my goodness. You can go to Nita Sweeney.com N I T A S W E E N E Y.com. And I have a, I have links at the top. There's a link to my newsletter, which I send out. I try to send it out twice a month and I only try to sell any something, you know, a couple times a year. I try, really try not to sell a lot um, except my books. I do want you to buy my books, but, um, but yeah, neatasweeney.com is probably the best place. There's also a free book called three ways to heal your mind, a little ebook that if you want that, that'll you'll wind up on my newsletter too. It's, you know, easy to unsubscribe. And then I'm uh, on all the social media channels. I have a Facebook group called mind mood and movement which is as you said um it's sort of my trifecta it's uh, um writing practice for i kind of, it's kind of mind and mood and then uh meditation again for mind and mood and then movement which is body mind and so it's sort of all three and i always feel like i am sitting on a three-legged stool and if i don't have any one of those three going pretty strong the stool will fall over so mm. that's, uh, that's kind of my, that's, that's probably the place I am the most, but, but the newsletter is probably the best place to find. Cause that's where everybody gets on the newsletter. You get all the info first, you get the cover reveal, you get, you know, kind of, that's my special in crowd is the newsletter. Oh. Would love for you to hop on that. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, I'll have the link to your site on, in the show notes so that people can get Thank that. You. So that's great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, I've really enjoyed learning about your journey. It's very inspiring. Um, Thank you for everything that you're doing and for your time today. Thank you for your work too. This is very important stuff. And uh, I really appreciate people who are on this path a lot. So thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Can you do me a small favor Go online right now and share this episode with one person who you think will love it. Thank you so much.